into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. Okay, listeners, we are here today with a very special guest, uh, writer, director, producer of an XM radio play by the name of Not From Space, Jeffrey Michael Bays. Uh, thank you for coming in on the show. Hey, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Uh, so the original XM radio play came out in 2003? Yeah, yeah. So that's been about 18, 15 years. 15, yeah, 15. years? Why, um, why, a, why a radio play? Why, why bring back uh, such a unique medium? You mean why turn it into a movie now? Well, no, I, I want to talk about the original first. Oh, the original. Why do a radio play? Um, well, uh, it's less expensive than making a movie. <laughs> That's the first reason. <laughs> That's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, you know, the everything's in, in your head. So, you know, you just, you, know, you just talk for two hours and there's the story so it's um the, the original is it's like a radio broadcast so it's uh you know it's got talk shows it's got a, a morning show a news program call-in shows it's all fiction but it, it all it all builds up to this uh um alien uh first contact event so uh about halfway in uh, there's this big earthquake and see that's that's kind of the <laughs> that's kind of the the point of it is that the first half is is all just silliness and uh nobody notices that these aliens have arrived um so it's kind of a tease because we know we because because uh the narrator says in the very beginning that you know this is the day that aliens arrive and then so you're waiting constantly as you're listening you're waiting for them to finally get it. You know? <laughs> so it's this constant tease of, okay, um, there's this speech coming up, and it's going to be this this huge announcement uh, that's going to change humanity. So uh, as you're listening, you're thinking, oh, well, this is going to be it, right? And uh, so then the speech turns out to be uh, completely not what they expected. So, um, so it continues on like that. Until the spaceship finally arrives, um, and that's when everything changes. <laughs> they can't they can't deny it anymore. So, um, so then it's breaking news coverage from that point forward. Of uh, you know the first contact that, uh, where the president uh, shows up to uh, to meet with the aliens, and and then uh, uh, then there's an invasion, of course, <laughs> as tends to happen. Um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, uh, the summary of it. And it's about two hours. And when I produced this, it wasn't supposed to be, you know, I didn't produce it for XM. Okay. Uh, so it was just kind of like a production I put together in my basement. You know what I mean? It's like, it was kind of like a, kind of a side project that I was putting together with these voice actors and, had no idea it was going to be as big as it was, and so we were pretty surprised when they, when the uh, XM radio called up and said they wanted to, uh, to broadcast it. And it said that you would, uh, you'd want is award winning. So w- w- what was uh, what was that like to get that kind of recognition for it? Well, that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was, 
also unexpected. Um, it won the Mark Time Sci-Fi Award, uh, which is a Sci-Fi Audio Award. Um, and it won the Communicator Award of Excellence. And uh, um, we actually had uh, Denmark, uh, a radio station in Denmark, uh, actually did a, a show about it. Like they, they interviewed me and they talked about it. And, and uh, so that was pretty cool that somehow uh, it became a big deal in Denmark. I have no idea. How that <laughs> well, maybe they're just really, really into uh, alien invasions in Denmark. I mean, all those alien invasion movies, you don't really see Denmark being destroyed. So maybe <laughs> that's, that's where everybody meets up after they, after they defeat the aliens. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you were adapting it from, uh, your radio play to, uh, now a feature film, what'd you find was one of the hardest obstacles? Well, uh, to make it visual, I, there's so much more, uh, story content now. Um, because, uh, you know, with a, it, now it's a news channel. So it's like, you know, it's like you're watching a cable news channel. And so you have the news crawl at the bottom of the screen and so we're going to have other stories happening down there um, along with the main story. So uh, I'm planning on having a like a, a whole like a whole story play out in the news crawl that has nothing to do with the main story. Oh, OK, so there'd and be then, nice little Easter eggs for everybody as they right. as they watch it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So and we also have like live stock uh, stock market uh, numbers. Uh, so as the stock market changes throughout the day, you'll see that on the screen. And then, of course, when when crazy things happen, the stock prices drop. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it kind of goes right along with the with the drama of the story. So that's kind of cool. And then we have like the weather, uh, the temperature uh, at the bottom of the screen. So it's really trying to uh, uh, give you this experience of watching a live news channel. Well, you got to be careful. You might not. You know, we don't want to create a modern day war of the world and have everybody going to mass hysteria yeah let's hope not <laughs> well let me ask you this uh with all the live ticker and uh news and uh the look of that of the 24-hour cable news do you have any background in that particular area i've never actually worked in tv news um so it's just because i'm i like i watch news all the time i'm like a news junkie um i grew up watching like breaking news like um because <laughs> back in the back in the 90s it was all like uh because uh, that was like the beginning of cable news so right they were still trying to figure out how to do it and so they had like the oj simpson thing um and uh that was live coverage and then of course the bill clinton impeachment thing and um and then, you know, the school shootings started happening. So that's kind of, and then one thing cable do, they used to do on cable news, uh, was, uh, of course the, uh, the missing children. Mm -hmm. You remember that? Yep. You notice they stopped doing that recently. True. Did, because, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I guess because they've got enough news. Otherwise, they don't, <laughs> they don't need to focus on that. Well, but, yeah, the, uh, the news cycle I imagine is pretty it's pretty packed as it is and 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 i i would i think it was if you remember uh was it balloon boy they got they oh, kind of yes they got yes, uh burned that. on that because he wasn't actually in the balloon so <laughs> yes 
<laughs> that was awesome. I'd love to turn that into a movie, by the way. Well, that, that, that brings me to another thing. So with the, all the news uh, that you have in your movie, in your feature, it, uh, was there any particular stories that you had a memory of that you wanted to include or pay homage to or refer back to? Well, yeah, that's that's interesting because it, it kind of – it's kind of like influences on what where the uh, original plot came from, and that uh, I guess that kind of because I had some ideas about what I wanted to do like before I even had a story. So I knew that I wanted to have um, I wanted to have a uh, a shooting, like mm-hmm. an attempted shooting. And I didn't know who it was going to be, so then that's what the news frenzy would be about. Like who is kind of like the JFK thing, like. Like where the shots came from, and and how many bullets, and that kind of thing. So it's like people start to call in with their opinions, and the experts don't agree. So it's like this big news frenzy um, thing, and that's what I wanted to do uh, for the first part of it. And I also wanted to have an earthquake um, because I remember uh, when I was a kid, they had this uh, San Francisco. Was it San Francisco earthquake? I think it was. Yeah, I think so. Um, where a baseball stadium. Uh, uh, got uh, damaged or something. Right. There was like pieces of highway uh, collapsing and all that. And that was breaking news. And so I, that was kind of an influence. So I, I guess all of these kind of events that happened throughout the 90s kind of, uh, kind of influenced, you know, kind of the kinds of things I wanted to put in there. And then just over time, I developed the characters in the story that, that kind of weaved into the alien thing. Because I also wanted to have a, a meteor crash mm. originally. Um, but then I turned that into an alien spaceship because that's more fun, right? <laughs> of course it is, you know, and, and, and now that it's going to be a visual medium, you know, it's more visual. Yeah. And, and the hard part about that is that there's going to be more than one thing happening at the same time now. So there's like, because we'll have like, um, you know, split screen of two different things happening and maybe a, a small box of a third thing happening at the bottom of the screen. So there's going to be a lot of different things going on. So it's kind of like, uh, do you remember the movie, uh, uh, time code like came out about 10 years ago and the whole movie is, is four different shots on the screen simultaneously. Oh, I think I do remember something like that. Yeah, very strange. <laughs> <laughs> and so you plan on having a, a, a similar style like that, at least in some scenes? So, yeah, in some scenes, um, but not quite that extravagant. But, okay. uh, but yeah, so when the when the spaceship crashes, there'll be like a live shot of that for about 20 minutes. And uh, that's what we're actually doing the uh, crowdfunding for, uh, is to actually get that footage for those 20 minutes. Uh, so... We are planning if if we raise the money, and that's that's a big if because it's you know we need to raise a lot more um, at this point to pull this off because there's a lot of expensive elements. Um, What's your goal? Uh, um, well, officially the goal was like twenty four thousand, but we can do it for a, a lot less than that. Um, we can do it for about ten thousand probably. Um, and we're not close to that yet. So if you're listening and and uh, want to uh, contribute to this, it's it's a big crowd scene. So it's it's basically the crowd gathering to watch uh, the spaceship crash and to 
kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. You know, is uh, is somebody going to step out of it, out of the ship? You know, um, and so we're inviting, we're actually inviting people to come watch as we film this, so they can be a part of the movie and uh, watch it take take place in front of them. And uh, our top donors, uh, we're letting them ride in the uh, presidential motorcade in the movie and actually uh, go along with the president to meet the alien in the movie. So uh, that's really cool. And that's for our top donors, really expensive level. Like if you're like really into investing in films and, and want executive producer credit and that kind of thing, um, that's uh, what we've opened up for those people. But, you know, if you want to see behind-the-scenes footage, um, you saw some of it. We have a, 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 a kind of like a, a live news feed, like you're watching the satellite feed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have that. So if you donate at a certain level, you can get that. And, of course, you can also get a copy of the original uh, radio play. So uh, you can figure out what all this is about. <laughs> and, and when uh, when did, when that aired originally... Um how did how 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 did uh, XM I I don't know I guess do like pro, how did, how did their programming help out with uh, airing that like exactly uh, when when did it air kind of thing? Well, it was um, it was a Halloween special mm. uh, because they they kind of programmed it along with War of the Worlds, so they were kind of saying it was a modern version of War of the Worlds, oh. and so they broadcast it about three or four times throughout Halloween. Um, and then they, they did that every year for like, uh, five years. Um, every Halloween they would, they would broadcast it. So it became like a tradition on XM. It was on the Sonic theater channel. Um, unfortunately when they merged with Sirius, uh, they lost their, uh, you know, some of their channels. And so they stopped doing it, but that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> uh with uh the donation uh if you were to uh get the the amount that you need when did you plan on filming that particular scene? Uh that'll be this summer. But um yeah, again it's it depends on funding. So. Right. Um do you already have that all mapped out and and storyboarded and you know ready to go uh, uh, assuming you get the money? Yeah, it's all ready to go. We have we have somebody to design the spaceship. Um, he actually uh, he's a prop designer for uh, Indie Mogul. Have you seen that show? On I YouTube? have. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's the he's the new host of uh, Backyard Effects. Okay. Uh, and he his uh, William Shakespeare is his his name. Um. Uh, Jake Kastanoff is his real name. Um, <laughs> really, really good at this stuff. You know, he should have came on the show today, actually, because um, he's like he designs. He's been for years. He's been designing like props from sci-fi movies. So, like, he designed um, like the the uh, that show on uh, Netflix, Stranger Things. Okay, he designed. He designed uh, like one of those um, aliens, like not for the show, but for just like for his internet thing. He he shows you how to design one, right? For yourself, you know, um, and things like that. So he's he's like really into this, and he said he's always wanted to uh, design a, a spaceship crash. 
scene. So this is like perfect for him. Oh yeah. This sounds like right up his alley. <laughs> yeah. So he's already got it planned out and, and, and he knows exactly what he's going to do. And we also have a makeup artist, um, which is going to be designing the alien look, um, and costume designer for the alien costume. And we also have the president, which is, it, this takes place 20 years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's president Clinton. So we're going to have a uh, makeup artist, uh, uh, make our actor look like him. And so we have, um, an artist that has done some Hollywood, uh, makeup artistry. That's awesome. Um, uh, Sherry Smith, uh, which is very good at what she does. So yeah, we have all everything in place. We just need to, you know, get the green light on it. And this is just, you know, it's a 20 minute segment right from the movie and um the rest of it is being produced different ways we're kind of shooting it like a documentary in that way because you know we're just kind of shooting different pieces as we go along so uh by the end of the year we'll have you know um all these pieces to start putting together 17 minutes of it's already finished uh we did that through uh um green screen Oh. So we had 14 actors um, as news correspondents, um, and they did all of their scenes via green screen, and uh, that's finished. So that's when you see the trailer, that's where all of that footage comes from. Oh, yes, yeah, nice. So yeah. uh, do you plan on doing the, the live footage all as one continuous shot kind of thing, since it's live, or...? Yeah, that's the plan. We're going to have a couple of different shots of it. Um, so, th- like, three live shots, and mm-hmm. then we'll just, like, dissolve between them. But there'll be, like, a main shot of it. And th- what makes it interesting is the steam rising, because um, that's what makes it interesting to watch. So it's like, uh, if that's on the screen and the steam is rising, then you'll just be watching that the whole time, <laughs> no matter what else is going on <laughs> on the screen. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's definitely interesting. Now, uh, with uh, is it, do you would you like to talk about what the aliens in the spaceship are going to look like, or is that going to be something you want to save for people to see when they watch the film? Well, I can I can tell you what it is in the original. Okay, um, which are, they're supposed to be they're supposed to be human. Um, they look human. So, but they'll be kind of like a distinguishing um, look about them that uh, makes it obvious that they're not not fully, you know, Earth human. <laughs> so, so humanoid, but maybe with discolored skin or something, or yeah, something like that. Something they, like that. They actually live underground, so we'll have to figure out um, extrapolate for that. Like possibly pale, you know, skin or something, mm-hmm. since they never see sunlight. So, and and the title is is not from space. Does that mean they're aliens, but not from outer space? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. Uh, yeah, we don't know. That's uh, that's something that you'll have to figure out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> as you as you watch it, actually, the title comes from. Um, one of the press conferences um, that NASA, because we have a lot of press conferences too, um, because it's uh, a news channel. That and makes so, sense. <laughs> so, so uh, 
it's fun because we have um, the Pentagon has a press conference, and then NASA has their press conference, and they disagree with everything that the Pentagon has said. So it's like they're they're fighting back and forth on uh, who is right. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, NASA says one thing, and then Pentagon says no, they're completely wrong. They have no idea what they're talking about, and so they're they're just they constantly have these dueling press conferences. And so that's that's really fun as well. But that's someone actually says um, that the spaceship is not from space, or the the, the craft that has crashed is not from space. Ah. So that's that's where the title comes from. Okay then. So it's kind of a it's kind of a denial. It's a, it's a NASA denial that they're not actually here. So I know that in um, the original and as well as in the, your feature, you're going to be featuring a lot of uh, fake ads and fake products, I would assume, uh, just uh, because it's a 24-hour news cycle or news channel uh, to fill those spaces. And uh, your Twitter handle or the Twitter handle for the uh, the project is is Dairy Cola. Uh, I know from the original that that's one of the products is – can we expect more like that? Yes, uh, exactly. Um, because it's a live news channel, and because the uh, the the whole movie is kind of about human greed, um, so it's kind of like a satire on uh, corporations and advertising and all of that. And so that's where a lot of the fun comes in. That's where the comedy is really. Mm-hmm. And that tends to be uh, the most favorite of uh, people that, that like the original show. They always talk about Dairy Cola because there's a taste test of this new product, right? And the taste test doesn't go right, doesn't go well. <laughs> um, and so Dairy Cola becomes this uh, one of the fictional companies that that appears constantly throughout this channel. We have you know, different wacky products and companies like that, and. And the basic idea is that they're not afraid to tell the truth. Like, uh, you know, our product isn't really that good, but we need your money. <laughs> so it's like it's like as if advertisers are actually saying what they really mean. <laughs> I, I mean, I could imagine an advertiser getting on there now and just being like, we know our product's not that good, but you're going to buy it anyways kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, and I, I would say that there are definitely a, pro- a lot of products out there now that you they have those uh, uh, you know news conferences after the product comes out. And it's like, yeah, we we know that this was a problem, but we sold the tea anyways. <laughs> yeah. You know, they they might not do it so bluntly, but they they definitely come out and say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw also online that you you would run a contest for people to be in these fake product commercials or to create their own or. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we've been doing that for a couple of years now, and uh, they are. Um, I think the deadline is August thirty first. So, if you're a filmmaker or if you're like interested in trying this out, um, you can create one of these fifteen second commercials, um, and we have a contest for it. And we usually have prizes. Um, so you can win like a camera stabilizer or something like that. Oh, nice. And, uh, so that has been going pretty well. Um, not every commercial gets in the movie, but (laughs) it's, it's one way to, 
to kind of weed out the best of the best. Right. So you, you've had a lot of participation in that. Yeah. And that's, that's called spoof dance. So, um, it's kind of like a, a takeoff on Sundance mm. and, uh, <laughs> slam dance and moon dance and rain dance and all these different festivals that, uh, have dance in the title. So, uh, so it's 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 an online contest. All you do is just uh, you know upload the video and uh, send us a link, and uh, then we'll have judges uh, uh, judge it at the end of it. And uh, are you one of the judges? Uh, yes, usually. Okay. Yeah. But we also have like a comedy expert that judges them, and, and stand-up comedians that uh, that judge them. Um. Steve Kaplan, uh, he um, is he 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 actually has a book about comedy, about how to write comedy. So he's kind of like the comedy uh, the comedy guru in Hollywood. Um, he works for he used to work for HBO and and did some writers workshops for HBO. So where where can they where can people submit those or those uh, links for if they come up with a commercial? Well, the um, it's called Spoof Dance, so just do a search on Google. Um, the shortcut is uh, borgas.com slash spoof dance. Okay. Very simple. Um, and if you follow the Twitter account, at Dairy Cola, that's, uh, we usually have information, you know, as things start to get closer to the deadline. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's incredible. That's a, also, I mean, that's a very unique thing to to have uh other filmmakers allowed to you know be a part of their your project that's uh very unique why did you want to do something like that well it's it's all about bringing people together because that's uh that's kind of like the the theme of the production is that we're trying to bring as many people in as possible um because it's kind of like we we say it's going to be the biggest crowd created movie Mm. ever made so uh uh, the more people we get involved, the better it is, and uh, that's how we did the original radio show. So um, that's how we're doing it uh, with this as well. So, what, what's a little bit of your background? What, did, what I mean, before you created the the radio play, what were you doing? Well, um, I created it during college. I was studying uh, filmmaking and radio, and I actually worked in small town radio. So. I was exposed to a lot of advertising, and so that's, <laughs> that's where we get the uh, the obsession with advertising, um, because I was in a small town station, and there were so many commercials, and so many ads, I mean, literally hundreds per day, mm-hmm. like hundreds of sponsors. I mean, it's insane. I don't, I don't know how they did. But, <laughs> I mean, it's like... Um, you know, it's, uh, almost more than half of the hour was commercials. So imagine working in a station like that and, and, and having the, all of that around you constantly, like everything is sponsored, you know, all the weather briefs are sponsored. Right. So I really got an inside look at, at, at that world. (laughs) (laughs) So that was certainly an influence. And by the way, the uh, the main character of of the uh, the movie is the manager or the CEO of the uh, news channel, and he's the one that's obsessed with advertising. And 
I'm not saying he's based on somebody I worked with, but, <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's a possible influence. But you always you also write what you know, right? Uh, you, yeah. From your own experiences, yeah. so exactly. I understand that. <laughs> uh, so because uh, he's he's the guy that. Um, he fires the uh, morning show host. The because... morning show, the one that bashes the the sponsor of Dairy Cola. <laughs> right, <laughs> you're right. So he gets fired for uh, because he doesn't like Dairy Cola. So uh... now was that uh, was that a real life experience of yours? You know, a, a on on air personality talking bad about one of their sponsors, or was that just uh, more of a wish fulfillment fantasy kind of thing? Yeah, it's kind of an extreme example of what could have happened (laughs) (laughs) and uh where where was it that you were you were studying film um well um i was in st louis uh webster university and that's where i got my bachelor's um and i got my master's in australia so that's complete uh complete departure from from that area um i did uh, masters in cinema at uh, la trobe university in australia wow some time in australia are you a, yeah. a worldly traveler um no, no not aside from that no <laughs> okay <laughs> so then why 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 australia why uh why go there for film school um well because i had been to australia before because mm-hmm. my uh my first film was uh, I shot my first film in Australia, mm. um, Offing David. Uh, not a not a very big film, very low budget uh, movie. Um, but you know, that's I knew a lot of people down there, and uh, the original uh, the original reason has to do with Star Trek, actually. Oh, really? Um, because I used to be on. Um, a lot of uh, Star Trek chat uh, chat rooms like uh, IRC, mm-hmm. and uh, so I had all these Star Trek friends uh, in Australia. I don't know how that happened, <laughs> um, but uh, we decided uh, to make a movie, right? And uh, for some reason, wasn't a Star Trek fan film. Which, looking back on it, that would make more sense. I don't know why we didn't do that. <laughs> But it was a it was an Alfred Hitchcock kind of a suspense movie. So uh, so uh, so by the time I decided to get my master's, that was one of the options was to go back to Australia because uh, it's a really nice place. Oh yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never been, but it's someplace I've always wanted to go. So yeah. <laughs> now, when you uh, after you got your master's. Um, where did you go from there? Did you, is that when you went to radio or? No, actually the uh, masters came later. Okay. Um, yeah. I had, um, I had left radio to do film. Uh, and then, uh, after I directed my, whenever I directed Offing David, I, uh, decided to get my masters in film. So that was more kind of a study of film theory. Mm. Um, so it was more of the academic side of film and the history of film and that sort of thing. And that led to these books that I wrote. Uh, so what that evolved into me teaching workshops about Hitchcock and, and uh, filmmaking. And so 
So that's what I do now on the side is I teach workshops around the country, um, Hitchcock techniques and uh, how to how to build suspense. So I go to uh, like Palm Springs Film Festival and Buffalo Film Festival and St. Louis and Los Angeles and all over the place. And uh, my recent book, uh, Suspense with a Camera, is is all about um, how filmmakers can. Uh, be like Hitchcock. Wow, that's incredible. So you said Suspense for the Camera, and what are some of the other books, titles? Uh, Between the Scenes, that's the first book. That's about scene transitions. Oh, wow. So it's all the choices that you make from one scene going into the next. Uh, uh, so it's like, because the biggest thing in the story happens at the end of the scene, right? So, um, uh, you know, you have a choice as a director. Um, the character is freaking out about this big thing that's just happened. Uh, so do you stay with that character or do you cut away to the next scene? Um, do you follow that character as they get into a car and drive to the next scene or do you just cut straight uh, to the next scene? So it's those kind of aesthetic choices that a director makes. Mm. Um, um, music and sound and uh, choice of location and all of that kind of stuff that plays in. So it's just all about uh, making uh, making the scene transition emotional and dramatic and connecting with the audience. Is there one thing that you've noticed uh, all beginning filmmakers, like one mistake that all beginning filmmakers make? Or, it, I mean, is it everybody's different kind of thing? Is there one thing that you would you would want a beginning filmmaker to keep conscious of? Um, you mean in terms of transitions make, or just overall? Overall. Because... Well, because I was thinking the first thing that came to mind was uh, a fade to black. Mm -hmm. um, I was talking with somebody about this recently <laughs> that a lot of student films have so much fade to black between scenes and cut to black. And and that that's kind of overused uh, because you're losing that ability to uh, get an emotional transition uh, through a dissolve or establishing shot or, or whatever. Um a cut to black just kind of stops the momentum mm. so that's used for documentaries because it's more factual but if you want to keep that emotional tension and momentum you don't want to don't want to fade to black so that's just one thing that comes to mind but you know the the obvious thing is to have a good story um which is the mistake that i made when, <laughs> when i did my first film when you did uh, offing david yeah, the the the, uh, the script is a little bit lacking. I think looking back on it, so probably should have spent more spent more time on the script before we started. But is that something that you would love to go back to, or is it just more that's in the past? That was your past. <laughs> you're good. You're good with it. What yeah. it is now? Yeah, it's it's. Uh, we'll leave it back there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it turned out really well, but. Uh, yeah, everybody, everybody's got to have a first project, and it sounds like you did well first for yours anyways, either way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what was the, the next book? Well, let's see, Between the Scenes, and then I had an e-book called uh, How to Turn Your Boring Movie into a Hitchcock Thriller. <laughs> Very precise and, and to the point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of a, um, it's a fun kind of a, it's as if Hitchcock uh, actually wrote the book, so it's in his voice. Mm. Uh, so it's as if he's coming back to teach filmmakers uh, what they're doing wrong, pretty much. So it's like, 
it's like he's so offended about all the movies today that he's come back to, to <laughs> set things straight. Um, but really what it is is because he did so many interviews and he wrote so many articles um, that there's so much content out there about him um, and his techniques and theories about film that it's kind of a way to weave those all together into one place. So it's, it, that's, that's really the trick is that it, it's, it's, it's weaving all of his writings together in kind of a, a kind of a, a kind of a fictional way a little bit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's understandable. Kind of filling in the blanks, you know? And, and did you have another one before suspense for the camera? No, that's just three books. Okay. And, uh, I think I'm done writing for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds, it sounds like, uh, maybe one of your bigger influences other than Star Trek would be, uh, Hitchcock. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. What was, uh, what was your first Hitchcock film? Well, that was, um, I think it was Rear Window. Um, I saw that when I was in high school. And did it just talk to you from there? Like, did it speak to you from, from that point? Or did you have to go revisit it and someone had pointed stuff out to you? Yeah, well, it started out, I wasn't expecting anything. So it was like, uh, somebody wanted me to watch it. It was like one of these old movies, so... I expected this really boring, you know, old movie. And so I was watching it reluctantly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it did start out pretty slow. And then all of a sudden, um, it really pulls you in. And um, it, it, it becomes almost like it's happening live. Like it, it, there's something... It's just kind of omnipresent about that movie, mm-hmm. the way it pulls you in. And, and so that caught my attention, you know, um, as somebody that was kind of interested in filmmaking at the time. Um, so it was like, you know, how did he do that? That's amazing. And then I started noticing he did that in other movies, too. So as I watched more of his works, I became more interested in trying to figure out, like, how did he do that? So that kind of um, set me off on this journey of uh, researching, uh, trying to figure that out. Um, and so my first film was really kind of uh, uh, putting that to the test, you know, to see if that stuff actually works, <laughs> you know? No, that, yeah, that's, it, that sounds, uh, it, it definitely sounds inspiring and uh, was, so, I mean, from your story right there, was uh, what was the thing that made you want to become a filmmaker if it wasn't Rear Window? Um, well, I guess I've, I had always been kind of interested in it because um, uh, my parents bought a, a camcorder like when I was 10. And so I was just doing like experiments with the camcorder, like doing stop motion animation, like with Legos and stuff, <laughs> you know, like, like, uh, and then I had a thing where, uh, um, I had a self making bed. So the, the bed would make itself. So it was stop motion animation as the, the sheets would arrange themselves nice. in the right way. And, and the pillows would go into place and, and the pillows would fight each other, uh, over who gets to be first, you know, and so it was this, this thing I did when I was 10, you know, it was like the first, the first little film I did. And so, so I was always like 
trying to do those kind of visual effects. So, of course, Star Trek was big at the time, uh, Next Generation. And so I was trying to do the transporter beam effect. So you poured and the salt into the into the water and got the... So it was, <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was sparkles because I'd seen a documentary about how they actually did it. So pour sparkles into a bottle of water and shake it up and to put it in front of the camera. And, <laughs> and so I was doing that, you know, trying to get it perfected. Like I kept trying it with different things, you know, and different people. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, was, that was pretty cool. So I was I was already into filmmaking, and from pretty and, early stage. And were there anything? Was there any? I mean, you already said that uh, you know there were certain news stories that influenced not from space. Was there any particular movies that helped shape that uh, idea, that story for you? Um, not really. No, I I, I don't think so. I mean. Uh, I tend to gravitate towards sci-fi, so Star Trek was always my favorite. Was that just the, just the the science fiction of it, the the storytelling in sci-fi? Is it what just just grabbed you? Yeah, I think with Star Trek, it's it's uh, it's because it's uh, it's the future and it's the technology and it's like the the hope that we can actually get to that point at some sometime in the future. And it's, you know, it's about exploring and, uh, um, you know, meeting other aliens and cultures. And so I've, I've always found that fascinating. So then on the, the eternal nerd war, do you fall solely on the, on the Star Trek side against the Star Wars? Or are you more of a neutral in between? Yeah, you know, I was kind of late to Star Wars. Um, I I did I did watch the uh, the I watched them all, but I'm not like really devoted to them as much. That's you know I'm, I'm the exact same boat as you. Like I, they yeah. they came out before I was bored, and then you know they were re released, and that was like around the time I was in high school, and then there was the prequels when I was in college, and I was just like, eh. I'm, I'm I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not devoted now, to them. But now it's all about the Orville, though. See that that it's kind of like because um, I I haven't really seen Discovery. I haven't watched Discovery either, but I love the Orville. I think that show is yeah. is is great. Yes, I love the Orville. So it's kind of like now if you're a Star Trek fan, it's kind of like it's Mac or PC. <laughs> Are you Orville or? Or discovery, you it's know, it's true. Like, uh, because uh, you know the the Orville is kind of the more like uh, you know, it's the more mainstream series, right? So um, that's more like the PC, right? And the Mac and, is more and the, is discovery because you have to have special access. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be special to get to it, you know. Uh, and I, I loved it because, like, uh, I, I mean, it, I think a lot of people were definitely expecting more of a parody satire to come out from the Orville. But I, I really think it's just Seth MacFarlane's love letter to Star Trek and how much he loved it, and yes. he just wanted to make his own Star Trek show. And they were like, "Well, we're already making Discovery," and he's like, "Well, fine, then I'll make my own," you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and it goes back to the original uh, 90s kind of a style. Oh, yeah, definitely. So are there any other more modern day things that you uh, enjoy and, and, and love to geek out about? 
uh, either TV or movies? Well, sci-fi not so much. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I. That's a tough one because I, you know, I watch. You know, I watch a lot of comedy and and stuff like that. But do you binge out on on different comedy shows? Are you are you like a incredible Kim, Kimmy Schmidt kind of person or? <laughs> I I I've seen that. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like The Office. Oh, I I I'll put The Office on Netflix in the background and all day long. Yes. Yeah, same here. I I watch that all the time. I've always said that Netflix <laughs> needs to give you a shuffle button because you've already watched through the series so many times. You just want the randomness of a of a you know an episode coming up that you weren't expecting. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's a good idea. Right. If you're if you're going to the movie theaters to see a movie, will you will you see, you find yourself going more for? Uh, a comedy or uh, an action sci-fi thriller or whatever because it's in the big screen kind of thing. Yeah, I usually go for sci-fi. Yeah. Because it's a big screen, yeah. So I, I usually tend to see all the sci-fi movies. Yeah, I mean, more often than not, you need the you don't need it, but it's the added bonus of seeing those special effects and stuff like that on the big screen is just that much better, I would assume, or I, I yeah, think. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, that reminds me, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, Mm -hmm. um, that's being re-released now. Is this the 50th anniversary coming up? Oh, wow. Uh, So they're actually putting that in theaters. So that'll be exciting to go watch. I actually saw that movie in uh, a theater in 70 millimeter a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. So it was like super high definition and surround sound. And I had watched that movie on TV and it was like, totally different in in a in a movie theater oh yes now is is the the re-release in theaters are they doing like a remastered version or is it going to be like some kind of original cut kind of thing um i assume it's the original cut yeah okay yeah so spielberg's not going to get in there and touch it up (laughs) for anything Uh, yeah i don't think so (laughs) I i think we're safe from that did you did you see Ready Player One? Say again. Did you see Ready Player One in the theaters? Oh no, I haven't seen it yet. Oh okay. There's a there's there's some Stanley Kubrick stuff in there too. So I didn't you know, I just didn't know if you had had uh, had a chance to see that or not. But fair enough. Uh, I mean, it, what else? What other thing do you find yourself when you're not working digitally, diligently <laughs> on uh, your your film projects or your books or, or teaching classes? What do you do in your spare time? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't have any spare time. What so, are you talking I, about? I, wouldn't, I would assume you don't. It sounds like you're pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. If you were to have spare time, what would you like to do? Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh for these different film festivals that you go to and, and and teach these seminars and stuff like that what what's the questions that you usually get asked the most uh usually it's hitchcock questions Any- so it's like you know um the shower scene in psycho <laughs> everybody asks about that and uh like how it was filmed or just, you know, yeah, they want to know what kind it. of chocolate syrup it was or chocolate syrup. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, somebody talked about like the marketing of it. Like they wouldn't let, uh, 
they wouldn't let audiences show up late to the to the movie um and speculating on why that is like was it like a marketing ploy or was it because uh, probably the contract of the actor probably uh because she was killed killed off in the first half of the movie so um it was probably a con contract that uh um, you had to force the audience to watch the first half to see her. See, right, exactly. So that was the speculation. So that's that's the kind of things that people are are wanting to talk about. I find, and everybody mentions Vertigo, which uh, is you know supposed to be one of the biggest, uh, the best t- films of all time. Right? It's like up there with Citizen Kane. You know, it's like a Citizen Kane and Vertigo are like fighting for the top spot in all of the. Uh, the movie lists. Right. Um, but I've never really been that much of a fan of Vertigo, actually. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand the obsession with it. What, what would you say are, are some of your favorite films? Um, well, in Hitchcock, it's there's a lot of them. It's, uh, um, some of the kind of lesser-known movies, like Trouble with Harry, um, uh, Shadow of a Doubt, uh, Strangers on a Train, Rope is always a good one. Um, and there's a lot of early black and white movies that mm-hmm. are fun to watch as well. Um, but yeah, it's usually the ones that have kind of been lost and, and aren't talked about quite as much because, you know, the birds and psycho, that was, that was a huge thing when it happened. So that's what everybody talks about. Right. But he, he made like 52 films. So there's a lot of content plus the 20 episodes of TV that he directed. Um, I do a, a web series about that, about his 20 episodes that he directed. See, you don't, so, you don't have any free time, I mean, obviously. <laughs> well, see, this this is my free time. This, <laughs> this is what I like to do. There you go. You do interviews. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the web series called? Hitch 20. Hitch 20. And it can be found yeah. on your website or? That, you can find it on YouTube. It's free. It's like three hours so far. We've done 15 episodes so far. Oh, that's awesome. So we pick apart each one of these uh, Hitchcock episodes. It's, it's you and, and someone so else? It's with uh, different filmmakers and Hitchcock experts. So they all kind of, uh, they watch an episode and then comment on it. And it's, I kind of weave it into a documentary. So it really, it's, it's for filmmakers. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of looking under the hood, you know, kind of to see, you know, how things are done. That's incredible. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, where that's uh, where your your uh, uh, fancies lie. I don't know the better word to say there, but uh, I was going to say your expertise. Uh, but uh, yeah, Hitchcock obviously was a big influence on you. Was uh, there ever anything else that you you wanted to emulate when you were coming uh, thinking of your film style? Uh, well, with film style, I, I was always fascinated by Gus Van Sant's movies, uh, like Elephant and Jerry and, uh, uh, those films that he did. And, uh, uh, what was the other one? There was another one that was like a trilogy, um, where he did kind of, a uh, a very, uh, kind of slow uh, style with, uh, um, tracking shots. So just yeah. Gus Van Sant was uh, definitely an influence on you for for your filmmaking, whereas Hitchcock was more of a storytelling. 
Yeah, well, I'd say I'd say Gus Van Sant a little bit more of kind of the uh, the mood and style of the cinematography that I like. Okay. Um, and Hitchcock is more of like the language of cinema, like how to put the shots together. Okay. And you know the editing and and the sense of humor behind it. Um, what else? Other directors. Um, I don't know, because, you know, I always wanted to direct a Star Trek. I think that would be amazing. But uh, I don't think I'll ever get the chance to do that. Hey, but, Discovery's uh, coming back for a second season. You Don't, don't count yourself out. <laughs> What's some advice you would give to upcoming filmmakers that, you know, would want to do the work that you're doing right now? Well, I think um, it's all about research. Um, so, you know, the best way to overcome writer's block and the best way to be inspired is just to go out there and start reading books about filmmaking and about screenwriting um, because that'll just like, that'll get the, uh, the neurons firing and it'll just, it'll, you know, get the imagination started. Um, other than your own, do you have some examples of books that you, that people should take a look at? Uh, sure. Like, uh, there's, there's always, uh, Robert McKee and his book called story. That's like the quintessential screenwriting book. Um, there's Bill Johnson's story as a promise. Um, and then of course there's Sid Field, which, every student knows. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, just because just, uh, if you get a chance to go to a library, like, uh, at one of these universities and go to the film section or the, like the, uh, the filmmaking section, there's just, there's hundreds of books and it's just like, it's like, uh, you know, an archeologist stumbling upon a, a cavern full of, gold treasures you know it's like it's like this 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 whole new world of uh possibilities when you step into these to the you know this section of books and there's like there's hundreds of books about any possible thing that that you could ever want to know about filmmaking like how to edit and you know how to how to direct and you know, like, um, film theory and like, what did Eisenstein do? And, you know, like, uh, there's books like that were written in the seventies about how to direct and like how to edit. And it's like, there's so many different things to look at. So it's just, it's just an endless, uh, treasure trove of, uh, information. I found it so inspiring when I did it. So that's, that's kind of like, that's part of my, you know, why I did my master's because I wanted to expose myself to all of that. that yeah, well, yeah, that's incredible. And, and once, uh, not from space is, is done and in the bag, do you have the next thing that you, you're going to work on? Do you have that ready? Or is that, is that the, when you're going to go back to the grindstone and, and come up with a new idea? Well, yeah, I do have some projects that are kind of like long-term, uh, projects, um, but it, it just kind of depends on how not from space goes. So it, that should be done. It's going to take us a couple of years to finish that. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at like 2020. So, uh, yeah, there's a couple of other sci-fi projects I'd like to do. So then let me go ahead and, uh, 
get the Indiegogo uh, name again, the the website or the address again, if you have it. Uh, yeah, it's uh, we'll just go to Indiegogo and search for Not From Space. That's probably the easiest way to find it. Um, there's also a link on the website, Borges.com. Uh, Borges.com slash NFS is the production page. And we have a link to the Indiegogo on that. Um, of course, you can go to uh, Twitter, at Cola, and we have a link to the Indiegogo uh, there. And uh, the deadline is April 17th, so it's coming up very soon. That's right, very soon. So get in there and donate your money and, you know, get get some of those uh, perks that he's offering up for everybody. So donate enough so that you can also be in the film. I mean, that's it's there. It's, it's an option. <laughs> uh, was there any other piece of information you'd, you'd love for someone or for the rest of the audience to know? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that uh, covers quite a bit of it. Yeah, that, that, it's pretty good. So you said Borgus.com is the, is the website. Right. And, uh, and if you follow, if anyone wants to follow you on Twitter, it's at dairy cola. So if uh, anybody would love to, to get a hold of Jeffrey, Michael Bays and uh, his, uh, production of not from space twitter would be a good place to do it it's a great way to find and, and keep update on uh, on the progress of the project itself this has been geekly radio features on the geekly radio network saying always remember to geek out geek out we now return you to your regularly scheduled program